Hello, Grunts of the UK and beyond. Welcome to One Foot in the Podcast with your host, Tom. Today, I'm joined by a listener, an already loyal listener, I like to think, in Ben. Welcome, Ben. Hi, thank you very much for having me on the show. This is a first for One Foot in the Podcast, apart from the episode that's already been released where I have my brother on. That was that was just a little test, but we've got a, a hardcore fan, I like to say, hardcore, or certainly someone who's been into it for many years, good enough to join and talk about the series wrap-up, really, isn't it, in Who's Listening, a Christmas special that aired 27th of December 1990. Ben has watched it in advance like I have, and we're just going to, like like ever, talk through the episode, come up with all sorts of probably pointless observations, but it's all part of the time, <laughs> I think. That's and the best thing about these sitcoms, I think. Exactly, yeah. And it was it's a breath of fresh air having someone on the show. Um, so my brother, James, and now Ben, it definitely had a, a better dynamic, and hopefully for the listener be a lot more enjoyable um but hopefully you've enjoyed this series up to now so if you'd like to get in touch uh, please email the show one for the podcast at gmail.com i'm also on twitter at one foot in the pod i usually do that segment right at the end for some reason i've done it at the start of that but anyway so welcome ben um ben, before i click record we did have a little meet and greet because the first time i've spoken to you with your face on the camera whereas we've just been contacting on twitter before or been in touch by twitter sorry so can you give us a little brief background into what, how, how you first got into One Foot in the Grave? What, uh, well, who, does anyone get you into it or did you just discover it? A little bit of both, really. So when I was probably 12, 13 years old, um, I was visiting my dad um, and he gave me a VHS of Who's Listening and The Man in the One Black Coat, in the Long Black Coat, excuse me. Okay. Um, and that... I just took it home and watched it and I thought it was absolutely awesome. And um, my mother had already uh, sown the seeds of sitcom obsession before then <laughs> by introducing right. me to Faulty Towers and Bottom both in the same week. Both excellent comedies. Yeah. She said, oh, you'll love these. I think it was, it was a ploy to just shut me up so she could get <laughs> on with stuff. Yeah. Um, but that just turned me into a sitcom junkie. And now, you know, all of these sitcoms, particularly One Foot in the Grave, but also Bottom, Waiting for God, Keeping Up Appearances, I can, I've can watched them often enough that I can pretty much watch them in my head. Yes. Which is incredibly sad, but yes. also very useful on long train journeys. So. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you. Well, <laughs> it's, um, well, yeah, I mean, it's some nice, nice thoughts there. Uh, thank you for that input. So, for me, yeah, for, I've mentioned this before, but if you're a first-time listener, I just got into this because quite literally every Tuesday my brother and I would go to, after primary school, go to a, my grandparents and they'd have it on VHS, probably on a, maybe in Betamax at that point. But anyway, they just giggle along to it and just got more and more into it in the 90s. Bit of a lull probably in the 2000s where it was just a comedy, but in, in the last sort of 10 years, definitely appreciated more as time goes by. And of course, it's the 20th anniversary this November since it's finished. So I was trying to think to myself, do I rush through the series and try and complete it by the 20th of November or do I just take my time but maybe just release a random, not a random podcast, but a tribute podcast episode by that date? But I still want to finish the series. I don't know. It's not exactly too trivial, but I think that's probably what I'll do. Maybe you can come back on then. Certainly maybe before then, but uh, yes, deviating from the point here. So... We're discussing who's listening. Okay, so scene one, we're in the living room of the male Jews. It's not looking particularly Christmassy. I went, as I was watching it, I felt 
there's not any Christmas decorations, but there are some Christmas decorations. Yeah, they've draped a little bit of tinsel over the wall there's, unit. There's a few things on the wall, but yeah. as we find out fairly early on, there's no tree. There's no tree. It's a, it's a bit sad. Get something in the middle. What I, the first thing I noticed is a little touch by Ren, like oh, the opening jingle. You know, like with certain 90s comedies and dramas, it's a very cheesy. And Jonathan Creek had it. It's like um, BBC Sounds you do come up with sort of, I can't describe it. It's just a jingle. And they got the God Rest Ye Mary gentleman jingle partly played at the start and we've we've got some um, dory mantle returns as mrs Wallboys. she has appeared for an episode or two and when the the meldrews living room so victor he's got a he seems to have broken his leg or he's, he's done something and they're playing with margaret of course a board game i think it's like a battleships strategic game is. yeah yeah and what i like about this is they're Victor seems to be playing against Margaret's mother, who's not in the room. We never see Margaret's mother. It's one of those cute little mysteries. We never hear her. We don't see her. We certainly, I think a couple of episodes back, she sort of fell in the bath, didn't she? Or she dropped. She, she, she's always making noises, but you never actually hear her speak. Oh, she, no, we do, don't we? She leaves a voice, though. She but, does, yeah. In, um, so, in The Pit and the Pendulum, I think, she, uh, she leaves a voicemail for Margaret. See, that's, um, that's why I think your knowledge is probably superior, because I wouldn't be able to name that episode at the top of my head. I'd have to look that <laughs> up. Fair play to you. So, yeah, they're playing, I would say, a Battleships game. They haven't mentioned Battleships. Maybe it's because it's licensed, I don't know. But this is a bit like what people are probably doing in lockdown, potentially. They might be playing, we're doing, we're doing quiz games, aren't we, over video calls, maybe, or they're playing a board game over the telephone. And, like most people in Victor's life, he gets, they're winding, they seem to be winding him up, or he thinks they're winding him up, because it seems to be that Margaret's mother is cheating, maybe. Right. No. He got a double four. Yes. Double five. Oh, what a surprise. How very convenient. I'd never have guessed. <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? Well, how do we know what she's doing, sitting over there and kittering with her own board encounters? <laughs> this is the way the Third Reich started. <laughs> So he's rolling a die and it's three and she's getting a four and <laughs> he's getting quite stroppy already, isn't he? Because he's not winning. Yeah, he can't oh. see. He comments, how do we know what she's playing up there in Kettering with her own board and counters? Yeah, and yeah. And he, he does a brilliant line. She's, this is how the third Reich started. That's what I bet you. I made a mix. He gets so, it's just his exaggeration of uh, anything that's presented to him. <laughs> it's just a delivery in it from, from uh, Victor Nardry. He does um, deliver it beautifully, yeah. But I just like the fact that they're, they're quite consistent with where people we don't actually see in the show, where they live, or family members, the same names are brought up. So they're, they're trying to add some consistency here. They didn't yeah, have to even, mention where she lives. Even names from from where they used to live in Wingate Drive. You know, we hear about Mrs. Burkett again in this episode. Yeah, as Mrs. Well. Burkett, Mrs. Aylesbury across the road. Yeah, Jack and Pat Aylesbury, and we, you know. Yeah. All these yeah. characters, so they bring them all in when they need them. So, this is it. Well, we le we learned that Victor's been in, had his leg in this plaster cast for seven weeks, um, and I can't. Well, when I was watching, I think how did he break his leg? I wonder. But it's referenced that from Margaret that he broke he broke a leg whilst buying a shirt in Millets. Millets is still around. It's an I, old. Do you know? I don't know. Is it? It's, yeah, I went out my way it to is. Google it. Millets. So he broke his 
leg whilst trying to buy a shirt in minutes, and it's never explained. We don't find out how, either. <laughs> Which is classic, isn't it? You're left classic. to wonder how on earth that could have possibly happened. So, I just perhaps... Well, he's obviously slipped up, isn't it? I don't know. Yeah. The, the cloakroom changing rooms are often messy. I don't know. We'll get into that. So when's he due to have his leg off? Friday morning. <laughs> All being well. Glad to see the back of it. Seven weeks with that monstrosity. Oh, someone's written something on it. I can't quite read it. <clears throat> Nothing of any importance. West Ham Wonkers. <laughs> West Ham Wonkers. West Ham Wonkers. Yes, and there was something else on there as well that they managed to get off with some lemon pledge. I can't quite remember <laughs> what it was. Oh, I didn't remember what it was. Um, Victor is an Arsenal fan, I think, isn't he? Is he? I he, I know he goes. Oh, because he does in, goes um, in the affair of the Hollow Lady. He does go to Wembley. Yeah, he goes it? to the UEFA Cup final. They get yeah. beat four 0 don't they, or something? Um, That'd be a great pub quiz, quiz question. What that would be, yeah. Although we, <laughs> but we're giving the we're giving the answer away now, aren't we? But yeah, uh, <laughs> he had fuse wired down it. God knows. <laughs> in the end, it got so bad we had to go back up the hospital to get some expert advice, and that's when they found it. Doctor said it was one of the rarest things he'd ever known for someone to have an ant's nest down their plaster cast. After a long period of irritation and itching and shoving skewers and all sorts down his plaster to get rid of the itches, he's actually got an ant's nest living yeah. in there. It's got an ant's nest down there. And, and I love how Margaret just she just she just says, Oh, we just thought we, we saw a couple of ants around his flies and we just thought it was down to the hot weather. As if, you know, know. That, it happens to us all, of course. Yeah. That's hideous <laughs> to think that. But anyway. So during the, the game of battleships, I think Margaret's mother goes off to the the bathroom. They're trying to in, encourage Victor to get involved in the stage. He's very creative, is Victor. He's done ventrilo ventriloquism. Margaret's even, you know, had dabbled in stage plays in an amateur. Yeah, setting. in Dramatic Fever and in the, in the same episode, Victor was writing a screenplay. And of course, in Tales mm. of Terror, he, 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 which will, you know, you'll presumably get to in yeah. a few months' time, he, yeah. he was Dracula. Interested in what? In playing one of the parts for us in this year's Nativity. Oh, depends what the part is. It's the back half of a cow. <laughs> No, so it's not just any old part. Oh, no, no, not at all. In this, in this instance, he's been encouraged to play the back end of, not a donkey, but a cow. And, of course, he is completely reluctant to, as you would expect. But I'm quite surprised Victor, as his character, is, would be willing to perform. I don't, he doesn't seem the type to perform to any kind of crowd, but he obviously has done. He, a resounding no to that request. Uh, by Mrs. Warboys. It wasn't an out-and-out out no, though, was it? He did consider it. He, you know, he said, oh, it depends what the part is. Mm. And it was yeah. only when he found out it was the back half of a cow. He was like, oh, so not old any old part. Then. Well, this is it, yeah. It would have been yeah. a more prestigious role. Maybe he'd have been more tempted. Yes, that's, that's right. But obviously, no, back end of a cow. He won't even have a tree in the house this year. Refuses point blank. Oh, you, you've got to have a tree in the house, Mr. Mildrew. For Christmas. What for? So you can tie chocolate rabbits to them and watch them melt under the lights? <laughs> and they can drip all over the carpets and dry up like miniature cow pets? <laughs> it's 
Not even Christmas anymore. It's just a four-month trade fair organised by retailers and advertising agencies. I, I often agree with Victor here. It does depend on your belief and or what you think of Christmas, but Christmas tree in the house, it's got to, be, it's got to happen, isn't it? It doesn't have to happen, but he hasn't, he's opted to not have one, and I can't believe Margaret has just accepted that. Yeah, it's probably a, you know, anything for a quiet life. Yeah, maybe, but they've got some decks, like I said, there's a bit of, like I said, a bit of tinsel sort of draped over the um, Christmas cards, but no, and it's a good chance for Victor to moan that it's just a trades, more than a trades fair now, Christmas, it's not it's nothing like it used to be. And that yeah, was back in the 90s. It's, I mean, it's it's even worse now, but depending if you celebrate Christmas or not, it's uh, it does kind of start pretty much just as Halloween's ending in the terms of the retail world anyway. But he's having a good moan on our behalf, I think. It's what's, what I like about the show. It means like the little things in life that most of us find a little irritating. Yeah, I think he did say, I don't know if it was in this episode or another Christmas special, perhaps it was The Man in the Long Black Cloak, but he... Uh... So we said before, I don't know whether it was in this episode or, uh, or it was perhaps the man in the long black coat, but he said um, that uh, we'll be draping tinsel over the Easter eggs next. That's it, yeah. Yeah, that's a good line. I'm <laughs> glad you reminded me of that. Um, and there was, a, there was a beautiful quote in this episode as well where he says something along the lines of, what better way to celebrate the birth of Christ than to fill your intestines up with Newbury fruits? Yeah, I would say, and that will be brought up much later on, won't it? And yeah. it, it's like I think with like most sitcoms, think the certain seeds are planted. So Newbury fruits is mentioned. Yeah. Um, obviously, the fact there's no tree in the house might become a prominent aspect of the show later on. And uh, the part I'm watching now is he's going through a magazine, and he said he practically found uh, an entire rainforest of junk. I love that it's just called Christmas Magazine as well. It yeah. doesn't have a title. <laughs> I don't suppose they could use Radio Times, could they? <laughs> just Christmas Mag. Um, but yeah, do you remember what he's... Just off memory, is he? Is, he refer- is there anything referenced in that magazine? I think, oh, that's it. Um, the usual Christmas rubbish on the TV, I think, including Cilla Black. He mentions that in a couple of scenes' time when they're in bed, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't recall... Scylla being a, known for Christmas appearance. Unless, well, she was an all-rounder, wasn't she? A singer. Um, yeah, she was probably actress, on a Christmas. I mean, she probably. was on it every other time. Yeah. But, yeah, that's... So to round up this scene, then, so what, what have we discovered? Broken leg. No, not actually... There's no uh, clear reason what, how he's broken it other than he was shopping. But no Christmas tree. Mood is quite low. I guess it's early mid-December at this point. It's not really set the what the tone of this episode is going to be, really, until we go to the next scene. We are in the kitchen, the Meldrews. Margaret's on the phone to, I believe it's great aunt Joyce. How many aunts and uncles are mentioned and cousins? It's just quite a few. We do hear of great aunt Joyce a few times. Yeah. Um, There's, of course, Ursula who dies in The Wisdom of the Witch. Yeah, and even Mrs. Warboys has got cousin Wilf and yeah, who we meet twice. Who we yeah. who we meet twice, but we don't see a husband. I think the beauty of this show is there's very limited amount of characters, which I think yeah. works quite well. He walked into the kitchen. Uh, Margaret's on the phone to Great Aunt Joyce. She is, I think, being asked what they like for Christmas, and Victor's sarcastically saying, "Oh, not another three jars of petroleum jelly," which I think is just 
I think they were sent some Vaseline or something yeah. in the past. Some people, like she's one of these relatives that will send you a peculiar present. Another nod to families who might get some strange gifts from family relatives. Maybe just not even hand me downs. They're just something they found in the cupboard. Um, <laughs> but yes, and it's they they the camera's panning towards the kitchen sink just to make a point that the water pressure is quite low. Uh, which again seems pointless, but later on in the episode will be a little bit more. It will make sense why that matters. And as I talk about that, I can't even remember. Um, <laughs> so when I get to the notes, I'll, I'll remember why the water pressure is a big deal. I love there's a, there's a line he says um, <laughs> when he's talking about the water pressure. You better cancel the plumber. You better instead have a specialist in geriatric bladder disorders. That's it, yeah. Oh, I, I'm glad you're here to like remember the one-liners because if I was doing some and I would be listening out for that, pausing it, and then saying it. So you're my guy for that, I think, for the one-liners, because I can never remember them off the top of my head. Well, I pass like to... now, I think we do a delivery. Yes, so the... Um... Goes to the door and comes back and in a very sort of subdued way. says, um, She says, there's been a delivery. And that's it yes like, delivering what yeah so i don't well he's, he must have just rung the bell and gone away it's like, delivering what margaret yeah and she looks very sort of um confused yeah she's a bit then, bewildered by what she's seen um, and then we cut to the outside of the house where we're looking back at victor who's looking out obviously we can't see what he's looking at yeah and he's a... ranting on the phone look i don't want to debate about it i know what i ordered i've got the document in front of me now I quite specifically ordered one Excelsior Garden Gnome catalogue number 263. <laughs> I must have put it in the wrong column. It only takes a bit of common sense. What could I possibly want with 263 bloody garden gnomes in the first place? Like Rush out in Munchkin land out here. It's the perfect way to reveal it because it wouldn't have worked if we just saw it without the context. Yeah. The, the audience might have laughed because it's just someone essentially dumping their crap, you would think. But because it's better that we see Victor ranting on the telephone, which is a regular occurrence, saying, like, I ordered uh, one garden gnome catalogue, 263. Uh, what happens? 263 names. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's it's very windy. Again, it's they, they reference the weather a lot in this episode, don't they? Yeah. Um, I mean, it is December, but it's a, a free freezing cold, windy. Victor's saying they, we have to return them, you know, by fill out a form, but they'll charge for any, the slightest bit of damage. And they, we see two or three knock over in the wind and smash. And you sort of feel for them, don't you? you think, oh my God, like three or four smash, they don't have to pay for that. It's not even their fault. Something. Yeah, I bet they're not cheap either. I mean, that's 263 times however much a garden gnome costs. I mean, that's yeah, I mean, a huge I, amount I, of money. I I didn't know what, what would you pay for a, a gnome. I, I feel like I'd pay nothing more than fifteen quid. Yeah, quid. I'd say be... 10, 10, 15 quid. I mean, mm. I don't want a gnome enough to pay much more, more than that, to be honest. Yeah, I've always I've always speculated how much money the managers have got because he was a security officer. I don't think he would have been on a huge amount. And no, Margaret's a flor- he... works in a florist. Yeah. I, I don't know. Probably Maybe they had the house. Time. They might own the house outright. It's I, I tend to speculate on these things that shouldn't matter, but I always think, how do you afford that? I mean, it's, it's not a grand old house, it's just a comfortable family home, isn't it? But yeah. anyway, so 263 garden homes, so the first visual comedy, apart from him, it, for some reason it, was, it looked amusing, him being in a plaster cast, this is the main first moment of laughter, I think, because it is so bizarre. As soon as they um, establish that they need to bring the gnomes inside, 
we've got this, there's no dialogue for the next couple of minutes, just Margaret turning off the lights in each of the rooms and the names just strategically placed in all areas of the home. And it's kind of creepy, actually. Um, it is. Uh, We're sort of following Margaret up to bed mm, and every door yeah. she opens, we see a bunch of gnomes. They're stacked mm. where the coffee table should be. Yeah, they're yeah. up the stairs. They're in the downstairs toilet as she's walking past them. Yeah, it's... And it's, it's obviously it's winding Victor. Margaret doesn't let these things get to her, does she? But Victor is absolutely, he's led down and he's facing one of these garden names and he smashes it onto the floor. I think you don't want to do, do that bit, you know? Yeah, that's just going to cost you another that's 10, another 15 cost. quid, you know? That's it, yeah. <laughs> what the hell are you grinning at? <laughs> Will you get away from me? It's sleeping in bloody Snow White's cottage. But in this scene as well, we, we're reminded that there's a wobbly tree across the road as well. Yeah, so again, there's there's a yeah, wobbly tree across the road because the weather's quite uh, dodgy, patchy rain and whatever Margaret says. Yeah. There's a couple of little local youths trying to encourage the tree to smash through. Is it Mrs. Aylesbury's? Yeah, yeah. Or just someone's house. So again, they're planting that seed. If you excuse that sort of pun, if that is a pun, it's this element of surrealness, isn't it, with the, the names? That's what this show is all about surrealness. And just it is one of the more surreal comedies, I think. Um, oh, yeah, it's... that's what I think that's how it stands out against the rest. I think, I think so. I think so. I love the fact that the, the thing that stands out about One Foot in the Grave for me is that it's, it's built from very little. Victor and Margaret aren't particularly remarkable people, they yeah. don't live in a remarkable house. Yeah. Patrick and Pippa are normal. Yes. Jean, dotty but normal. Nick yeah. next door. It's slightly cute. Do like about him, and yet all of these, all of these actions, all of these weird things that happen to them, they emerge from the plot. They're not preset. Yeah. And if you think of something like Only Fools and the Horses, where you've got this sort of ensemble of characters, each mm. with a different property that the writer can just draw from. Yeah. If you want to say something stupid, you bring in Trigger. If you want to say something yeah. mean spirited, you bring in Boise. You yes. don't get any of that with one foot in the grave everything's right. very flat and it's all built from basically yes. no information at all it's, 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 it's so clever and they are slightly kooky characters but it victor's it's all centered around victor's world isn't it essentially yeah. but these other sitcoms that it's more spread out evenly across two or three main characters yeah but um but yeah i think it's also need to point out as well that it's they're making a point that the telephone lines are down as due to the weather might play a part later on. What do you want for Christmas? A set of razor blades to slash my wrists with. <laughs> God almighty, you're in a bright mood all of a sudden. Ne the next scene, so we are now at the video store. God, when, when did you last visit, visit Blockbuster Video or similar? For me, it would probably been 2002, 2003 maybe. Probably about then, yes, I yes. think. It was a real treat going to the video shop when I was, hmm. uh, when I was a kid. I just can't believe how much it was. It was a good two or three pounds for two days worth of hire. Yep. And when you think you could pay seven quid a month for these streaming sites, mm -hmm. um, it's inc incredible how much we save now. Yeah. But definitely. back then, it was, that was. I mean, buying a video was 15 quid, wasn't it? Like. Well, yeah, and you'd only get three episodes. You get half the series. Yeah. And you pay 13.99 for a one and a half hour VHS. This is it. Yeah. I think the one I. My grandparents, I did buy them the DVD box set, you know, about 15 years ago, but they always, they had quite a few recorded, but they, mm. the ones they actually bought from the BBC was rearranging the dust 
that was that episode. I think it was their favorite. I can't wait to review that because that is another episode where it's just one scene. Yeah, it's so clever. Yeah. Timeless time, one scene. The trial is not really one. It's just one. It's just Victor in the house. But I don't know how they. Is it is it in real time the trial or does is there a cut somewhere? I know timeless time. I'm I've led to believe from what I've read that is real time. Yeah, it is. It and might threatening, be. Uh, threatening weather is real time weather. as well. Yes, yeah. Um, it's remarkable. Rearranging the dust certainly is, but mm. I'm not sure about the trial. I'm not sure if there's a cut somewhere in the middle. It's a, it's really, if you, yeah. I don't know if you like, you like bottom. Like they, that seems, you never seem to see a cut in bottom, do you, for a lot of those episodes? It's just yeah. one massive take. I think it's amazing. Anyway, sorry, <laughs> we're at the video store. Uh, the actress here, uh, Catherine Shipton, I don't really know her for playing her part in Casualty, but that's how she's mostly known. The Victor signing up for a membership. It used to be like this, signing up with all the terms and conditions and ID you needed. Again, this is just Renwick going, this is how ridiculous this sort of thing. It should be simple, but Victor's cooperating with this seemingly miserable video assistant clerk or whatever the job title is. Here's my birth certificate. Here's a document containing my normal signature. Here's a document containing an abnormal signature written whilst wearing a boxing glove. Here's a cheque for the required amount. And uh, here's a pound of my flesh. Which I realise I must forfeit at any time so I haven't to talk during the film. Not making a fuss of this until he presents. Is it like kidney or? I think it's liver. Is liver? It? That's oh, it. He's yeah. got. He gave him here's <laughs> here's uh yeah here's my an ounce of my liver or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what's the order? He says here's my birth certificate. Yeah. Here's a document containing my normal signature. Yeah. Here's a document containing an abnormal signature written whilst wearing a boxing glove. And here's a check for the required amount. Mm. Oh, and here's a pound of my flesh. My yeah. So, <laughs> Which I, I realise how much sacrifice if I talk through the film. I had to, um, <laughs> I need to backtrack there because I said he was seemingly cooperating, but you know, he was quickly being sarcastic, wasn't he? As he was <laughs> placing that down on there. And he's looking around the video store. Yeah, she's gone off to, to input his data into yeah. the computer. Onto the hard disk. Onto the uh, hard disk, yes, of course. If we do have any listeners who are under, say, under 25, you, you would understand what she means, but. You might not have used a floppy disk or whatever, like I did at school. <laughs> the, the horror section and the children's sections all mixed up. People haven't been putting the video. To, that happens. That used to happen all the time. It, it really does put its heart and soul into putting these tiny little Easter egg annoyances that we all encounter. He does. I think one of them is Confessions of a Werewolf Prostitute is uh, listed <laughs> under family. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well spotted. <laughs> so he's looking for... Uh, Angels with Dirty Faces, starring James Cagney. Jimmy he, Cagney says it, yeah. he says it in the most the way he delivered that line. It was so relatively pompous, wasn't it? Yeah. He, he hasn't really got a lot of respect for this. I mean, to be fair, this this lady. We're going to learn a bit more about this this lady, but she isn't. From first impressions, gives the best customer service. It's just a job. She's a little um, bit dour, but I think I, it it kind of disappoints me this scene because this is one of the few times that Victor is genuinely nasty some, to somebody who really doesn't deserve it. Yeah, he, and that's not normally what he's like. He's, he's vengeful, he's impatient, but he's almost yeah. never nasty. Yes, he, he so will... Uh, he, someone will have to have annoyed him for him to be so, you know, quote-unquote, rude to like, yeah. so we'll, we'll take vengeance. But she is, although a little bit folding, folding her arms, looking, shrugging, she doesn't really care. Mm. She hasn't done anything wrong. Uh, but anyway... Angels with uh, angels with dirty faces. Home Alone have a made up 
film, don't they? Angel of Dirty Souls. That's their take on oh, it. Do you remember? Kevin has yeah. the video. I thought, I, Angels with Dirty Faces, that rings a bell. I'm sure Home Alone do their own version, didn't they? Yeah, I hadn't even made that connection. That's right. Yeah. It feels like if you were to watch this episode for the first time, what's the point in this trip to the video store? A quick joke around the types of ID you need for, to sign up for registration and being dealt with in a seemingly semi-unprofessional manner by the clerk. She, I mean, she's not, it's not a big deal. She's just a little bit apparently moody. Yeah. But yeah, he leaves. He's, he has been truly a grumpy old man, and it visually looks even more grumpy because he's got the walking stick or the walking aid, doesn't he? He's got his cap the on. Shopping he just, bag, yeah. He just looks like a stereotypical miserable old man. We are. We're in the sort of back garden, going into the hallway. It's yeah. daytime. I, I'm assuming this is all the, the very next day. His plaster is now off. I assumed it was he's, he was on his way back from the video shop, and he'd maybe gone to do the same. You know, he'd gone to the video shop after he'd gone to get his leg off, because he has his plaster removed. Yes. That, so was that, was that reference? Was that mentioned? I probably... Yeah, in uh, scene one, that's um, it. Uh, Gene Warboy's tactlessly asked when's he having his leg off. That's it. We didn't mention it. See, I'm glad yeah. I got you on, because... <laughs> um, yeah, thank you for rescuing me. Ben, everyone, is going to be rescuing me throughout this uh, episode, because he's going to quote... See, so far, you've done so well of remembering these one-liners. <laughs> it's I, sad, isn't it? <laughs> it's not. I, I <laughs> admire really it. Great Aunt Joyce. The plaster's now off, and Victor goes to... The, I've been, I'm trying to do this in chronological order. He, come in, he comes in through the back garden gate, doesn't he? And Margaret's clearing leaves. Yeah, it's, it's evidently... Um, um, yeah, she's doing a bit of, a bit of green fingers. Yeah. And he goes, to the, he goes to the front door, Victor, this is, and there's a, a parcel yep. uh, placed on the doormat with a card and it's from great aunt joyce so, uh, the card is from great aunt joyce and there's a gift that accompanies it and victor's quite taken back it's like blimey actually there's does he open it Straight he away. does he yeah. says it's either it's either a bottle of something nice or five more jars of petroleum jelly that's and it yeah it. yeah he sees um, the bottle and he's like oh wonders will never cease a bit like so again all of this there's a point why we for any sitcom why why certain things happen and We'll find out what comes of this present. But if they just didn't open it, if they thought, well, we'll wait till Christmas Day, yeah. obviously they won't get into the pickle they might come into later. But that's obviously the point in a, a fictional sitcom. But, uh, it is. if it's, it's those things you just don't notice that are seeded for you, that, that yes. come back later. And it's one of the ways that, you know, certainly Jonathan Creek as well, if you, if you watch for those little things that you seemingly wouldn't otherwise notice, you can mm. often get some quite significant clues as to the crime they're trying to Yeah, solve. yeah. Oh, I love Jonathan Great. Well, that's a, both Margaret and Victor, front and back, clearing up the leaves, they're making a point. Yeah, again. so was, uh, Margaret had asked Victor to go out to the front and clear yes, up the leaves that's from there right. while she did the back. Which is how he discovered the gift. We go yeah. back to Margaret and, well, the neighbour who isn't um, Patrick O'Pippa or Mr Sweeney, it's just a gentleman introducing himself. It's played by Geoffrey... Jeffrey Chater, am I pronouncing that correctly? I think, yeah. He's still alive. He's ninety-nine. Wow. Um, he's this turns out to be Pippa's father, uh, Tom Croker. Is it Croker? It's Croker, yeah. Yeah, Reverend Croker. He's well. He apparently locked himself out the house, but I don't think a back door would do that. Depending on the back door, of course. My Victor and Margaret's just seems a standard. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. I, just is, a standard locking victory. Maybe Patrick and Pippa have got a Yale lock. Who knows? Yes. Yeah, slammed in. This is a nerdy podcast, so we're allowed to be this, this um, <laughs> pedantic. So yeah. Mar- Margaret being the good citizen she is, 
like invites him in. Uh, he's so. What? Why is he round? Is he there because it's his birthday or something coming up? Or I think he was doing some work on Patrick's computer. That's it. Yeah, yeah, he's doing some. We obviously see his so Pippa's father's reaction to all the names in the house. He he he's actually quite probably because of his profession this nature he doesn't really judge them does he he just no yeah we probably have we mentioned that he is a vicar he's, yeah, he's a with a white collar on yeah he is yeah reverend yeah he's a sorry he's a vicar victor's locked himself out because the wind's shut him out well, the doors the front door's still open he hasn't noticed that yet but tom tom croker's uh wandering through the living room while margaret's still in the kitchen and he yeah. notices all the magazines on victor's table at the That's side it. of his chair That's it. Plain, plain truth and the watchtower and Which, he, he assumes that Victor is a, a, as he puts it, a man of strong religious conviction. Yes, that's right. Margaret, Margaret responds, well, he strongly believes in castrating Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> it's probably not that's quite right. the same thing. No, that's right. Well, <laughs> this leads up perfectly to uh, the Reverend answering the front door because Margaret seemingly is not answering it. Yeah, it slams shut in the wind Slam while Victor wind. was out. So Victor goes back up to the door, mm-hmm. holds his finger down on the bell in a kind of yeah. aggressive way. And yeah. of course, Tom's the only one that can answer it. And lo and behold, he answers it with a copy of Plain Truth in his hand. Good morning to you. You must be Mr. Meldrew, Tom Croker. <laughs> yes. I am sorry to disturb you like this. I won't need to impose upon you too long, I'm sure. It's just that I'm I, sorry, I, I, I'm really not interested. Yeah, but I was like you, stranded on the outside without a key. Happens all too often, doesn't it? Yes, I know. Uh, how much are the magazines? Um, I beg your pardon? 30p, is it? To cover the cost of the printing. Here we are. Very kind of you to call. Thank you very much. I'll read this later. Happy Christmas to you. Uh, Mr. <laughs> I'm sorry, I ought to explain yes, the reason that I'm actually really here. Very busy. Thank you very much indeed. Goodbye. <laughs> when these ruddy people all call them You've got a Vic, you've got a, <laughs> from Victor's point of view, and this is the first time it's happened to Victor where he forgets where he is in the moment, and it looks like someone's preaching to him to join their religious cult. Yeah, he's on the outside <laughs> of the door. It's perfect. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it happened when he first when he first moved to Riverbank with Mr. Swaney. Yeah, he was obviously in the old house. I'm sure it happens again later on. I don't know. The bendy dinosaur salesman as well. You get all these people, and the the in um, we have put her living in the tomb. You get the sky guy coming round. To... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, but he pushes the reverend into the house and say good day. Buys a magazine first, though. He actually yeah. hands over thirty p for a office, magazine. Offers the money. I don't know what thirty p <laughs> in nineteen ninety is in today's money. I don't know. Probably three times that at least. Does Margaret open the door? After Victor carries on picking up leaves, ranting about the, you know, how do you yeah. get rid of these people? And he's, yeah. and then he realizes, and he, you see it taking a few seconds for him to calculate where he really should be. That's right, yeah. But surely I should be on the inside. And it's, then Margaret opens the door, and then both her and Tom Croker are sort of staring back at him, going, Victor? What have you yeah, done? they look the, just a bit confused. House, <laughs> they, they live at 19 Riverbank, and yep. I just wonder if. The real owners who live inside that property—that is actually number ninety. Not—I know it's not Riverbank, but is no, it it's number nineteen? Way it's number four, I think. Oh, I wonder whether they changed nineteen then. I don't know. What's the Reverend? What's, I'd love to know these tiny little 
it's detailed. Well, I know why Ren Renwick uses chooses to use certain words because he thinks certain words are funnier than, than others. So if, if there's a gag that includes a day of the week, he likes to use Wednesday because he says Wednesday sounds funnier than Thursday. Yeah, I can get that. Yeah. If, he, uh, if there's a number like, oh, she's she's been out for a number of days, he'll always choose five. Yeah. I wondering about that for five days because five is funnier than six. Well, it, it, and it also Apparently. would make... With with um, names as well, like Mr. Foskett, Mrs. Burke, yeah. Mrs. Aylesbury, Mrs. Stebbings. Um, yeah, just these funny. Mrs. Gibson, like, yeah. You don't really. It feels like you don't get those kind of names. Obviously, you do, but I just don't ever hear those kind of kinds. They're of names. very Renwick names, and he has a similar style of naming characters in Jonathan Creek, Creek as well, yes. and in Love Soup, actually. Yeah. So um, they're inside now, and the, the confusion's cleared up. Yep, they're having tea. Yeah, and I th quite a. Um, Funny revelation from the Reverend. It isn't that Victor doesn't believe in God, it's just that they haven't been on speaking terms lately. <laughs> Perhaps you could put in a good word for him. That won't be very easy, I'm afraid, you see. Victor may, but I'm afraid I don't. Don't what? Believe in God. Um, and this is one foot in the grave all over. He doesn't believe in God. Have mm -hmm. I skipped too far there? He... So they said, I, I, I suppose you're quite busy. I, I, this is not verbatim, but again. Well, the, the first line in that scene is it's not as if Victor doesn't believe in God. It's just they haven't been on speaking terms lately. So That's right. Yeah. Start with them having discussed religion. Yes. And, and then he says, well, Victor may believe in God, but I don't. Right. Um, I used to believe in God. Then again, I used to believe in what, fairies and... Uh, the SDP's economic SDP. policy, is it? Yeah. That's not the first time they mentioned the SDP. Is that Social Democratic Party? Yeah, I think they mentioned it in... Uh, they mentioned it before. Uh, I, I, I Return of a Speckled Band, I think, as well. Oh, amazing. Because um, when I was watching this, I thought, they've mentioned this before, and I couldn't even... I couldn't want to go back to see which episode it was, but I'm so glad you knew it or did it for me. So thank you. I can remember quite clearly when I first discovered God. It was September the 4th, 1951, and then I lost him again one day last summer. <laughs> Woke up one morning in July, and he was gone. Make him sound like a hamster. <laughs> so, yeah, it's... So, yeah, we, uh, we learn about Tom's crisis of faith. Um, yes, and he that's said right. He, he discovered God on the 4th of September 1951, I think he says, and then mm -hmm. he lost, lost him again one day last summer. Yeah, what was the line that preceded that? Uh, I'm sure it's something like, what, you lost him like it's... You make him sound like a hamster. Yeah, that's it, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but this this guy playing, he's, he's make, he plays a convincing reverend, doesn't he? Like, mm. he looks the part, I guess it's, again, stereotypical, isn't it? He sounds like a warm kind of, quite warming, doesn't he? But it sounds very yeah. warm. And he's going into... Resins. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's basically going to be a business, like, he's just going to the world of business, really, isn't he? Yeah, um, some, some plastics companies offered him yeah. a position on their board with a generous salary, which is odd for a, an odd career move for a vicar, but why Yeah, not? and he's um, nearly, what's nearly 60? Oh, I've just said over 60, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I'm sure, I, I think Pippa mentions it later on that they got him something for Christmas to align with his 60th coming up or something, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. With respect to the chap, he looks older than 60, but maybe it's just people in this day and age can dress better. I don't know. He is 
be fair, bold and in a uh, wearing a vicar, I can't say vicar's outfit. What's the right term? He's wearing the the overalls, isn't he? But anyway, so what I guess he the Reverend's going through why he's lost faith. And when I look around and try to explain, explain to someone like Mrs. Burridge, the young mother, barely 30, most devout and reverent of Christians, the little boy aged six. Last Monday, her husband left the house to fly to Munich on a, on a business trip. He was going to be away seven days, come back on Christmas Eve, so they could all attend midnight mass together. He never even got to the airport. Car collided with a petrol tanker and he was burnt alive, the steering wheel. Words of comfort come hard, Mrs. Meldrum. Well, there isn't much you can say, is there? It's pitiful to see a woman with her appetite for living so absolutely crushed and yet from somewhere she finds the strength to carry on with her life which can't be easy working in that video shop all day long i think this is coming from the fact that he struggles to reconcile the fact that there is a god with this event happening yes and um, um, the words of comfort come hard as he says in the scene he must have in his 40 odd year career come across this though like whether they've done of it dying too young of an illness, just general yeah. tragedy in the world. I don't know, but I think this is the final nail in the coffin for this Yeah, chat. there was maybe always niggling doubt there, and you know, it's, it must be very difficult to explain yeah. to people who are undergoing such horrible yeah. tragedies that, you know, this this is what God intends, he's in a better mm -hmm. place now. And it's like yeah. these, these types of platitudes, when somebody's going through something like that, will just fall flat. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. What really surprises me about this is, is we learn that who he's talking about is the lady in the video shop. Yes, it's a close link and Vic, the penny drops of Victor. You see the penny drop with Victor, but what really surprises me is the fact that within the last seven days, her husband has been burnt alive by a petrol tanker and she's back just at work, work so soon. It's, I guess it's... Uh, deal with grief in odd ways. It is how they do it. And um, for, the, for the Reverend, he said, faith, I like this line, faith is absolute or nothing at all, which is yeah. definitely true. Um, and yeah, and Mrs. Her, her name Mrs. Burridge. And he's got a six-year-old lad, and this is tragedy has happened, and I need to call it a day. Final sermon this 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 Christmas, and the Victor is is human. His human human side is definitely coming out now, isn't it? He's like, oh my god, yeah, he's I mean, learning I a lesson to, right there. In front I, of him. I need to repent here for my sins, kind of yeah. look, isn't he? Like, oh god, what was I playing at? Because he often regrets things he says. Yeah, certainly, certainly regret in timeless time when. He was reeling off different newspaper articles. That was, if historical references were newspaper articles, he mentions, you know, children being slaughtered, and he yeah. totally. So he he's definitely got a conscience, isn't he? And even more trivial stuff in, in the affair of the Hollow Lady, where he, he locks the locksmith in his porch. He's filled with regret about that. Yes, yeah, that's right. His actions. Yeah, he he totally does, and he does go too far sometimes. He does, but he never uh, learns from it. Hmm. <laughs> no, he, he does. He carries on, doesn't he? <laughs> Pippa's obviously. We hear her say hello, and we don't see her. She's come to collect her father, and for some reason, she's not. She doesn't show her face. It just sounded a bit creepy. I played it back about three times. Just hear this very gentle hello. 
did I play. not notice that? Really, I noticed. I thought, what? That's obviously Pippa. She thought I'd be Pippa. Yeah. Um, and Victor is left. That scene ends with Victor just looking absolutely distraught. God's sake, what have I done this time? There aren't many One Foot in the Grave episodes that are this thematic, I don't think. I mean, this really is an episode about faith. Mm. You've got the, the man that we meet later on who's, who believes the rapture's coming. You've got the Reverend Croker. You've got Victor wrestling with whether there's faith or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mrs. Burridge and how she handles it in, in terms of her religion. It's yeah. Rarely, I think, do we have such a strong undercurrent in a One Foot in the Grave episode. This might be, yeah. Quite a unique episode. It's it's such a different show at this point compared to series one because it's yeah. evolved so quickly. Yeah. And this is this this seems like the first sort of dark moment we've had. So we're in, it's it's night time. Is it? I don't. Know, it's the same day. It's Let's, okay. So oh yes. We're, we're so. in the kitchen, or it might be the following. So Victor has we've learned did he he decided to perform at the nativity. So maybe. It might be. A, it doesn't feel like it. The scene we've just watched, where it's daytime, it doesn't feel like he'd be performing that night. Because if I was going to be performing in a in a show, I'd be rehearsing or something. So let's just say it's the next the next evening, maybe. Very yeah. displeased at his uh, the performance. Swallow all my pride, every last ounce of dignity, to dress up as the back half of a cow. And what do I find? The costume department's lost a front half. <laughs> Uh, it's like, don't even mention it, don't even bring it Well, it was a complete farce. Um, the the line he uses when he comes in, that it was total humiliation in front of 500 cackling crones from the women's bright hour, yeah. which kind of sets the scene. But it turns out that the uh, he, he agreed to play the back half of the cow, but it turns out they'd lost the front half. They'd replaced the front half with a rabbit, rabbit costume, I think, that they had yeah. left up Easter. Yeah. That it looked like the victim of some hideous vivisection experiment. Um, and I think Jesus, they the should have got a doll, but in, instead it was a marrow wrapped in cloth. Oh also, God, yeah, that's yeah. right. It was just, uh, uh, it's all left to our imagination, but it would have been, the ventriloquism act, we didn't ever see, did we? We just we heard, heard sort of it's, mumblings of it, yeah, yeah. in, but, in um, uh, Who Will Buy, but yeah. Again, some things are best left to the imagination, as they say, <laughs> and he's downing a glass of this lovely wine scent from great aunt joyce it's, it's delicious it's um just what you need and she's they're a bit peckish they said well why don't we finish off the bubble and squeak um it's just a late night supper Do- the doorbell goes uh it's patrick and pippa uh, the first time we see them this episode that's what we came round for actually not being irrelevant what's that my father's christmas present sorry the bottle of wine uh, Fortnum and Mason delivered it yesterday morning. I hope you don't mind us asking him to deliver it to you, but uh, we're not exactly sure when it would arrive and didn't want to risk him spotting it. <laughs> Could have tumbled it straight away. <laughs> Bottle of wine. Being a collector, well, a fanatic, really, when it comes to his wine. Oh, he's been after this particular one for God knows how long. Yeah, real stroke of luck that we found it, really. It's a... Uh, Chateau Chevenin Merceau, 1924. Incredibly rare. He's got his 60th birthday coming up on the 28th, so it's sort of big combined present for the two. Oh, it's amazing, really, isn't it? To think of a bottle of wine that's 10 years older than your father. It's amazing to think of a bottle of wine that cost you 850 quid. <laughs> you don't have to keep shouting about the price. <laughs> they are looking a bit perplexed about 
all these names, but surely they were given a heads up by her dad. Just like, oh, you're the weirdest thing. Unless he didn't think it was a big deal. But well, I the first think... thing she says when she walks into the living room is, I see what you mean about all your goblins. Mm. So uh, it implies that she's spoken to Margaret about it at some point. Yeah, which I think the reason why I wrote that was because Pat, Ang- Angus Deaton's character, Pat, uh, Patrick, he just, it's a little bit irritating that he finds everything so weird. It's just so annoyingly, t- I just feel for Victor. Like, this isn't his fault. <laughs> As ever, this is not his fault. It's never no. his fault, but I think Patrick just expects to find Victor doing something weird. And in, and in in the time they've known each other, the only thing that's really happened is Victor sort of trying to force them to stay because they thought they because they travelled from Bath, which is what, near where I live, yeah. that they just needed a bed for the night. Obviously, that's before you knew they were the neighbours. What else? They've got off onto the wrong footing, and already, already he finds them a little bit strange. But surely. If only they said, we, sorry, we just didn't know who you were. Well, we forgot that you are neighbours. That They might have forgiven them. But of course, British people tend to <coughs> save face, don't they? Well, Victor wanted to. He said, didn't he? <coughs> I'm just going to come out and say it. Who are these people? That's right. Yeah. That's and so Margaret well was reminded. like, no. It's, you know, Margaret, Margaret's, it's Margaret's lies, usually, that get Victor. That's interested. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Victor's all for telling the truth, no matter how embarrassing it is. It, yeah. It, it happened in We Have Put Her Living in the Tomb. It, Victor wanted to tell. Um, I can't remember the lady's name about the the tortoise being dead. It was Margaret's lie that got the thing buried alive. <laughs> Patrick and Pippa have arrived at the Meldrews late in the evening, and they've come round to collect parcel. Why did they they they, they wanted it delivered to the Meldrews because they were fearful that it, because it was there for their father that he'd spot it. You could hide that. You, you could, could hide that. I think Pippa also said that she was, you know, she, she didn't know exactly when it was going to be delivered. And to be fair, it. yeah. If, if he was staying for the day, or yeah. I guess so. But you'd at least give him a heads up, like, parcel might be arriving. I think given, given what it is, yeah, and how much it cost, an 850 quid bottle of mm. wine, you'd think you'd say to your neighbours, by the way, I'm having a delivery, can you look out for it? Yeah, so I, think, I don't think it's a bit of a... I, I think perfectly, and there wasn't a... I seemingly, I don't know if there's a name tag on it. They come to cut the Chateau Chauvigny Merceau. Merceau, 74. Uh, 24, 1924. Did I say 74? Sorry, yeah. 24. Uh, ben rescued me again there. Uh, apparently it's a 10 years older than their father would be. Collected from a, a wine collector. They, I think um, it's been one of those... Yeah, it's a collectible. That's all we need to know. Margaret goes back into the kitchen and we just see this vision of Victor pouring the last dregs of this expensive wine into the bubbling squeak and the, the <laughs> bottle into the bin and oh my god she is yeah she is she picks up the pa- the, the packaging that it came in and actually reads it and sees that it this, wasn't for them yeah. after all she picks it up about the recycling it cost 850 pounds it's been perfectly preserved for over 60 years and you just pour the last drops in the bubble and squeak. She's a bit great, Aunt Joy. She sent a card. She sent the card, but she didn't send the wine. That's not verbatim again. And she does the most hilarious growl, doesn't she? Oh, yeah. How they wouldn't hear that. She lets out a brilliant growl. It's a different Margaret to series one. She was so timid and tepid in nature if that's a, such a phrase she, she was much more of a foil for victor i think in series yeah one. she was just character in have a hapless wife who just was quite passive yeah. with everything but she's certainly not in this with this new house they're in we've been in it for the second series now that she's 
evolved as a character, that's for sure. Anyway, so can she... Can I point out something really geeky? Of course you can. So when Pippa and Patrick have just told her that the wine was from them and Margaret gets up to go and get it from the kitchen, yeah. you see the flat from the, uh, that separates the, where the audience sit. So they, when they want to close the room off, the flat, they bring in the flats to close the room off. Oh, uh, okay. And you see it wobble slightly as, as Margaret makes her way into the kitchen. Oh, that often happens with these sets, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and I just Brilliant. always, I always see it, always bothers me. I always see it. Yeah. It's, it's oh, it happens in Forty Towers an awful lot. Oh, you it, see the boom a lot in Forty Towers yeah, as the, well, yeah. That seems to happen in Dad's Army, Forty Towers, yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah good spot. This, this, is what, this is what sitcom podcasts are all about. We yeah. dissect everything. <laughs> and there's plenty I, this is why I'd love to have someone on regularly because I won't always spot stuff yeah um, okay so Victor we, we sorry Margaret even we've, we've already just mentioned that Victor would rather just be honest but Margaret's got a, a plan a quick fix and she's pouring some kind of fizzy yeah she tries something. to fill it with water but of course the pressure's low so it's going to take forever so she Which, grabs a can of beer out of the fridge that's why the relevance of the water pressure in the first scene yeah. um, reminds me of Black Books when they drink an expensive bottle of red and they try and fill it up. Do you remember that? Oh, of course. Yeah, in uh, Grapes of Wrath. Yes. Yeah. These are the ones <laughs> you can drink, but you can't drink it and Manny gets it the wrong way around. <laughs> <clears throat> so um, anyway, they hand the wine back and... Margaret's logic is it's it's a collect it's a collectible. No one's going to drink it. It's it's eight hundred fifty quid. Um, we'll just hope for the best. Yeah. What would you have done in that situation? Oh, do you know? I think I'd have just confessed and said, "Look, we didn't see that it was the yeah. no, there was no card left or anything. We didn't yeah. know it wasn't for us." And perhaps you'd offer to pay for it yeah. if it escalated. Like, look, this was we had no idea this was coming to us. We it came with a. A card from a relative, and we mm -hmm. quite we thought it was from them because yeah. they said they were going to send something. The I guess actually placed on top of the box that the wine it. was in. Yeah, so it's a perfectly natural conclusion to come yeah. to. Yeah, I think I think it's an innocent mistake. If they're not, I think wine... I'd offer to pay half back. Yeah, it, I think that Patrick and Pippa culpable as well for this. They need to take some responsibility, yeah. in my opinion, definitely. And I think that's a fair fair shout. Yeah, if they've just been given the right. If they give me giving a heads up that obviously, but this is a comedy. This has got this is supposed yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, you know? exactly. Okay. So um, think, uh, yeah, Patrick and Pippa leave, and there's a there's a, another reference to God at the end of this. You better go in and apologise, <laughs> and I'll go and rest my neck on a railway line. <laughs> if you believe in yeah, if you believe in God, now's the time. If there is a God, now's the time to stop saying your prayers. I think well, yeah. that's, that goes for you as well, though. <laughs> Margaret, because yeah, yeah. although Victor was using it, you're both in it together. Church interior, street exterior. Um, ah, yes, Victor's. Uh, well, we see the church, don't we? Um, and the congregation going in. Yes. There's some um, quite ho holy music that's over, right. over the scene, and then you see Victor skulking up, and suddenly the music gets quite menacing. Yes, that's, that's, <laughs> that does. Um, it works well for this because yeah. it's, the, it's the dark element. He he doesn't go in to the sermon, does he? He just stands outside and. I think if he went in, he'd be terrified of bursting into flames, wouldn't he? That's right. Yeah, he's he's, par he's paranoid about the wine. He's paranoid about this lady. How does he know 
I, I suppose he's assuming that this is Mrs. Burridge is going to this sermon, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Well, he mentioned that he was a, when Tom Croker was in the house, he mentioned that he was the Reverend of St. Luke's and yeah, mentioned so Mrs. Burridge. So he's yeah. just turned up on a Sunday, I guess. Yeah. Um, that's where she'll probably be. And because he wants to say his sorries. My sincere assurance is that as I make my way to pastors new, from the world of holy orders to the world of multinational industrial plastics, conglomerates, I shall continue to hold dear all those timeless virtues of benevolence, compassion, sensitivity, and all the... <laughs> Duncan, how are you? I'm in the middle of a sermon at the moment. Are you at the office? Yes, I, I will, as soon as I'm through. This is the perfect... This is just... Redwick all over. He's the Reverend. Oh God, what's his name? Croker. Croker. Reverend Croker is given a quite an emotional exit speech, not speech, but you know, <laughs> and it's it's quite solemn, isn't it? And all it's the beautifully put. He talks about sadness and grief, and the the cameras rolling past the audience, and at the point yeah. he mentions that there are people out there whose burden of grief is very high. We see a shot of yeah. Mrs. Burridge. Yeah, it's and the, all very and nicely done. I felt that they they cast the, her son to look very similar to the little the the animated boy in the snowman. I just thought I wanted that. Ah, yeah. Although the snowman was out many years before that, I just thought he just looks just like if the car if that cartoon lad boy lad um, yeah, became yeah. morphed into a, an actual real life figure, it looked like this chap, this little kid. I think. Um, he does look like a cartoon boy, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and of course, so yeah, the Reverend's giving a speech and a very old fashioned, what we what we now would say is old fashioned, but back then, a mobile phone ring, ringtone. Um, During the rings. sermon, yeah. During the sermon, and you think it's their phone going off, surely. No, it's not. Yeah. It's the, the actual Reverend's phone, and he answers it. And it's just such a bizarre moment. You think, this is a, although he's stepping down, he, he's not exactly maintaining professionalism. You think you could turn your phone off for the duration of your final sermon, surely? I know, but he's already... And whatever that is, can't wait. He must he answer can't it. can't wait. Yeah, it's... Resins are that important. This is it. And he, yeah, he answers the phone. He's, he does sort of say, I'm in the middle of a sermon at the moment. And they're all just watching. It's just it's so... <laughs> it's so one foot in the grave, isn't it? It's just crazy. Are I you going but... into the office, Duncan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we come um... back to the exterior now when the congregation are leaving. Are you the postman? Sorry. Oh, thank you. Adam. Ah, oh, Mrs. Burridge, I just wanted to, uh, the other day, I just wanted to say that uh, the things that I said at the time, I was just... Uh... He stood by the post box and the little boy uh, runs up to him and said, are you, are you Father Christmas? And he... And are you the postman, he asked. Sorry, you are the postman. He goes, sorry. Looking, he's just coming across so, again, sort of disinterested old fool. Yeah. But then he quickly triggers it's, oh, it's Mrs. Burridge's son. She gives him a scolding look, doesn't she, from afar. Yeah, well, Adam, uh, little Adam hands him a letter and then mm. and Mrs. Burridge calls him back over. Yeah, and and he, he wants Victor. to apologise and he tries to initiate and she won't have any of it. To be fair, I mean, she probably is thinking that there's that unhelpful man I came across the other day, but 
at the end of the day, it's yeah. Christmas time. He gets a time. few words out. He's like, you know, the things I said at the time, and yeah. she's not having any of it. She, this is it. She rejects his attempts at an apology and just walks away without saying a word. And that, and the little boy's um, letters heartbreaking. Dear, dear Father Christmas, please, well, my dad's come home for Christmas. Mum says he isn't, so I'm writing to you. Yours truly, Adam Burridge. Um, yeah. Yeah, I hope, I hope he posted it, that letter for good for goodwill because that's where the little boy intended to go. I like to think so. Yeah. Um, anything else to round off that scene? No, I don't think it's, so. It's showing Victor's... Very short scene. Very short scene. It's showing Victor's... Um, he's very remorseful of how he came across. I don't think he would have done it to any, any in any other circumstance, but at the end of the day, this lady and this boy have lost someone close to them, so it's yeah. the least he can do. Back to the that same evening. This is the scene actually. We're, we we are now in the yeah. It's we're now it's yeah evening time. Victor and Margaret's bedroom. This is where we hear that the Mrs. Ellsbury's tree is looking quite wobbly, and the kids are trying to get it through her window. Um, yes, because they made a point of saying that you know someone someone out there is going out the way to cause a bit of vandalism you know, yeah. to the extremes. The Victor's, kids are playing lumberjacks, I think. That's it, yeah. Playing lumberjacks. Yeah, that's it. And Victor's sort of in a daze carrying one of the gnomes to bed. <laughs> yeah, he walks <laughs> in with a gnome, gets into bed with it. Yeah, what um, the bloody hell am I doing with this? We're reminded um, again by Margaret, I think, in this scene that the phones are still off, mm-hmm. which is important information for later. Mm. And then uh, Victor's sort of wrapping the duvet around himself and his gnome while his Margaret's name. getting into bed. And he goes, what yeah. am I doing with this? Yes, and he I goes. Came in here for a book. <laughs> and we do that, don't we? We we sometimes go into a room and think, "What the hell are we? What, what am I doing?" But um, and he goes proceeds to flush the gnome down the toilet. Yeah, he's like, "Right, I've had enough of you, matey," and he yeah. marches off into the bathroom. And and I, Margaret that, shouts after him, "You're not going to put his head down the toilet like, again," because this has obviously been something he's been doing to all of yeah. his towns. Which I don't know if that would cause any damage. Paint damage at worst, but it's, I don't know why you bother yeah. to be honest with you. But that's Victor to, to the extremes again. He likes to take his frustrations out on inanimate objects, though, doesn't he? And the man who mm. blew away, he really wants to get hold of that balloon from Mrs. Aylesbury's party just so he can yeah. pop it. As this if that's yeah, yeah. This is yeah, just as like his little victories almost. Yeah. And I, I made a note that this. Obviously, I did timeless time the last episode. It looks apart from the names, it could be the same episode, same photo frame above the bed, same lighting. Um, it's obviously the same set, but I just might the nerdy side of me came out there. Um, it might be obvious, obvious to say that, but sometimes sitcoms they try and use they might use a different set and try and position it and decorate it like how we're supposed to see it. But you can always notice subtle differences. But this looks exactly the same. I often wonder how they do um, because of the the three houses, um, seventeen, nineteen, and twenty-one, all look mm. identical. Whether they have three separate sets or they just rebuild. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it could could be. Um, Because I I can't imagine those sets take up, you know, they must take up a lot of space. Yeah, it it just looks legit. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like it could be in someone's property. Oh, I forgot to tell you. I I, I met the Reverend Croker again today. You know, Pippa's father? Mm. Says they're laying out some special dinners for the homeless at Christmas down the community centre. Give them a decent meal for once in a year. Yeah. I said I'd go along and give them a hand. Help with the washing up or something. Mm. Don't miss your Christmas dinner. (laughs) 
Well, we could have it at tea time. It's not that big a deal. It's only a few hours. Do something worthwhile this year for once in my life. Oh, so I'm to spend Christmas morning alone now, am I? Oh, my goodness. Look, what if I was the Pope? I mean, you wouldn't see me at all then, would you? I mean, what happened to goodwill to all men? Um, Victor, on his pathway to... Is it... Is redemption the right word? or Atonement. Atonement, so that's an even better word. And he is vowed, that, well not vowed, he is going to be volunteering uh, with Miss, with Reverend Croker at the community hall on Christmas Day. Much to Margaret's amusement. She's, she should be applauding that, but at the same time it will mean she's on her own. But Victor points out quite rightly, well, you know, we can have dinner in the evening, not you just have to wait. Yeah, I do understand Margaret's point of view. It's Christmas Day, and she's gonna be literally on her own, but there's all these people that need help. It's very charitable, Victor, and he's I think he's doing the right thing, right thing here. To <laughs> because to what if I was the Pope? Yes. You wouldn't yeah. even see me at all, then, would you? That's right. <laughs> And that's when she uh, she slams the light off and tears the duvet off of him and wraps herself up in it. And then that's the end of the scene. I mean, she, she could have just said, but the point is, you're not the Pope, but, you know, he's doing a good thing <laughs> at the end of the day. Um, it's, yeah, it's the next... Is there anything else in that scene? I think we just established that he's... Yeah, he's he trying yeah, to... Yeah, I think that, that scene's just uh, there to yeah. set out the next, you know, the remainder of this Amazing. act and just remind us that the phone's off and the tree's wobbly. I think that's its purpose. So this must be Christmas Eve because the next morning, I... Well, it's, Chris, it's Christmas morning. Oh, of course, yeah. So, yes. yeah, the next day is Christmas Day. Um, yeah, Mrs. Warboys is around with... with um, well, Mrs. Warboys and Margaret in the kitchen and what yep. are they discussing? So they're... This, yeah, Mrs. Yeah. Does she... Mrs. Burkett's mentioned a few times. We've seen Mrs. Burkett today. We yet. saw her in the Valley of Fear. She was the one that got locked in the loft. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's funny how she is not, doesn't appear again. I don't know if that why that would be. But anyway. <laughs> you probably wouldn't really turn up if somebody had imprisoned you for That's true. three days in a loft. She, she might be a bit reluctant to go around again. But she is... Mrs. Mrs. Warboy says, um, still no uh, reference to shame, he didn't have a tree. Like, well, I don't think she said, I think we established that there's still no tree. Victor didn't give in. It just would happen, wouldn't it? They open up this huge parcel, and what is it? It's an, another garden gnome. Uh, <laughs> 264th garden gnome. Yep. Yeah, we start, it's Victor's out of the house, he's volunteering. So it's just the two of them. I wonder why Mrs. Warboys couldn't just spend a day with her. I think she has a husband, doesn't she? So, yeah, husband hasn't right. left her yet, has he? So she's probably with him. Yeah. Some sort of foreshadowing of a white Christmas, as Mrs. Warboy says it, it might happen. And, and the, the it's again, course, it's weather yes. weather related, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so Jean Jean's convinced Margaret that Victor's actually been quite kind by bothering to go down to the community centre. Yes, because um, you might get you know, potentially get stuck there. And also, yeah. there's a packet of Newbury fruits that. There are. I wondered where they came from because they didn't come with the Burkitt package because they were already on the table before she opened it. And Great Aunt I'm, Joyce, did, I she, did if she send Jean, them? I wonder if Jean left them. Probably, maybe, I don't know. Because um, she is a bit dotty. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I've never had new brief. I've probably had similar. Are they just boiled yeah. sweets? Are they, or are they just jelly? They're like sort of jelly, sort of, um, do you remember 
sort of like wine gums. Wine gums, yeah. Much softer, much sort of soft in the interior. Okay. More like, more like a sort of jelly baby consistency. They're not oh, really I see. I don't like them. I don't yeah, know. yeah, yeah, cool. But anyway, it's it, maybe it's of its time because maybe it's just one of those treats everyone always got it's like oh god i've got this again it's a bit like how people <laughs> don't most many people don't seem to like the bounty chocolate bars mm. in i don't know it could be that reading far into this as ever <laughs> okay uh anything else so can we move to the community center now yeah i think the next yep. uh, the next scene is the busy dinner it's happening it's, a, it's happening it's a classic community hall it's a very community i don't know if this is a set or it could actually be filmed not in front of a live studio audience because I think it probably is a, an actual. I feel like it is a hall. I suspect they probably just did this on location, yeah. I just I don't know why. I think where the camera it's got many different angles, yeah. you would you would see, and you know, I can't quite articulate what I'm doing now, but hopefully but you sh- do. Such <laughs> a short scene. I doubt they built a whole community center. It's a short scene, and we we kind of we we're, we're at the community community hall. Then we I'm, I'm just going to summarize how events play out we will discuss them but we're at the community hall then we go to the Meldrews then back to the community hall um then back to the Meldrews again and then the community hall so it's it's chopping and changing it's sorry it's switching quite a lot now but we're at the community hall Victor is quite mucking in it's quite nice to see really like these these old folk mostly old anyway haven't got you know the luxury of a Christmas dinner without the help of the Reverend and Victor there's a gentleman looks can we say he looks creepy? But he's supposed to look a little bit odd. I think in this day and age, you're not really supposed to make that assumption. But I think he's been painted. He's been painted up to look a little bit strange. He's got. Yeah. He's played by M. Rytel. I think that's how you say it. Yeah. Um, he's playing video game voiceovers. I think. Does he? I. He plays Mr. Starkey. Waiter. <laughs> Is everything okay for you? Can you tell me the time at all? Um, oh, no, I can't, actually. I didn't put my watch on this morning. 2.51 and two seconds precisely. Is it? Is it? Good. 2.512. 2.512 in the year of our Lord, 1990. Yes. Something to think about there. We've lost the ability to tell time for ourselves, you see. It's all done with clocks these days. It takes away all the skill. Squinting at quartz analog watches, measuring the sun's passage across the firmament. Not many people left can actually tell the time anymore. Not many of us left. Two, fifty-one, and thirty-nine seconds. He addresses Victor by calling him <laughs> waiter. 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 And this chap seems to be a little obsessed with time which jonathan creek time waits for norman ah, yes, link. Course, yeah, yeah i thought yeah. he just says have you got the time and does he ask victor for the time and he says, says, can you tell me what the time is and then victor goes to and then he says oh actually no i don't have my watch on and then he says it's uh 251 mm. uh, seconds two seconds i think yeah god i need and a life <laughs> 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 it's fine <laughs> I, I believe whatever else you come up with, that's just, I'll <laughs> so that's that's correct. And Victor sort of does that. It's just he just does it so well when he look, he's a bit perplexed, but he's trying to be polite. He's sort of oh okay, and you walks think? yeah he walks on. and it does. It, I think that ends that the scene's quite short, and that's it. He just 
time flips well, by. He says, to, he says to Victor that you know there's people can't really tell the time anymore. Mm. Uh, and looking at quartz analog watches and watching the sun pass over the firmament, there are not many levers left who can tell the time now. What's the what? Two fifty-one and thirty-nine seconds. seconds. And Victor's just looking a little bit like, what's what's that phobia? Is there a phobia? There must be a phobia for time passing by. Temporophobia. It's mentioned in uh, in Time Waits Phenomenon. Yeah, that's uh, ah, temporophobia. Cool. Um, oh, and then he says he's, then he says the line that he just keeps repeating, which is, "I don't mind waiting, Mister Meldrew." That's it. Yes. It's quite a creepy ending to that yeah, scene. Yeah, that that sort of shuffles away after that. Well, it looks like it's evening, but it's it's technically it's about three or four p.m. And um, Margaret is quite excited. She's she's getting the dinner ready, isn't she? She's candles and yeah, she's laying the table with crackers, I think. And yeah, um, it's it's like it's literally eight or nine seconds long, and then we cut straight back to um, the kitchen. The Simon kitchen Smith. after is it after the event? The 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 volunteers are all leaving, and there's just so, Victor and yeah the. The, the homeless, I assume they're homeless or people who are hot, hard times, they've left. And Victor's very much playing, sort of, it's anything I can do now. Or um, he's just a different, it's almost like a different character. He's, he's very gentle. He's like, oh, I think everyone's left. Or, um, Which is the opposite, I think, of Croker. Croker is a little bit more um, bit more of a like, taskmaster in this scene. Yeah, it's a bit more sort of boisterous in tone. In, yeah. yeah. He's got a machine gun. <laughs> Pardon me? He's got a machine gun. I didn't like to ask him where he got it from, but he says it's very useful for getting a seat on the bus. <laughs> I think he said was that he wants us to get him a set of new clothes because he says he can't. He can't possibly meet the poor horseman of the apocalypse without a clean shirt. Tell him to go away and stop being so silly. He won't go. He's got a machine gun, which is like... <laughs> And I, when you're watching this for the first time, I think, bloody hell, out of nowhere, he's got a machine gun, right? And Croker says, well, it's obviously a toy. Just tell him, don't be silly, we, we, if we don't shut this up, if we don't return the keys by four o'clock, the council will be on to us. Victor yep. uh, exits, comes back a few <laughs> minutes later without, without his clothes on. There's a line I love, which is, is he didn't, I didn't ask him where he got the machine gun from, but he says it's very useful for getting a seat on the bus. <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? I think he get away with that. Um, so, yeah, he's um, Victor exits, comes back about 30 seconds later without, well, he's only got a vest and pants on. Yeah, and he's shorts. underwear, isn't he? Still yeah. got his hat on, though. Still got his hat on, which adds the com comedy, I yeah. think. He says he, he needs a clean shirt uh, to meet the four um, horsemen of the apocalypse. Well, who doesn't? Yeah. Who doesn't? And this, the Reverend is he's quite hepped up at this point. He's like, I just want to get home. Oh, for God's sake. But he he try he tries to resolve the situation. And of course, at this point, oh, we established this, it's snowing now, haven't we? It's a white Christmas. Yeah, I think while Victor was out of the room, um, the Reverend looked out the window and said, "Oh, we're getting a white Christmas after all." It's, it's yeah. He says it quite. Warmingly, doesn't he? It's it quite does. nice. There's something Very nice Christmas about it. Ah, oh, it's quite Christmas after all. But um, yeah, Reverend exits. He comes back. He's wearing exactly the same as Victor. White vest, white with his little hat on. And he's, I think we better call the police. <laughs> <laughs> it had crossed my mind. Yes. Isn't that depressing? It's four p.m. Uh, it's Christmas night. It's basically night time, even though it's four p.m. It's dark. Mm. You just want to be settling indoors now telly on playing ball games or whatever with your loved ones 
um, and snacking, and that's what you want, that's where you want to be. The last place you want to be is a community hall at the best of times, I think. And yes, the uh, the scene switches to the dining room with Margaret. She's furious, isn't she? And it's quite an eerie music played, isn't it? She's it's uh, sort of yes, so very she... solemn. She's looking. I think it's so harsh that she chucks his food away because, okay, in her, in her mind, he's just taking the neck. But I, he's still got to eat. I believe it didn't occur to her that he might be in some sort of trouble. Uh, yeah, with the weather or something. assumed that he was, he was just having fun without her uh, or something. I don't know. But yeah, she, she has got short fuse, though, hasn't she? Like, she does. She takes everything way more personally than it needs to be a lot of the time. But and, yeah, she's... We get the time as well. We, she glances at the carriage clock. It's six o'clock, so we can yeah. assume he's two hours late home. I think that... Um, I don't think she thinks anything bad's happened to him. I think she's probably thinking he's so clumsy that he's probably got himself into trouble, which is his fault, when mm. he could have avoided it and just come home, rather yeah. than he's just late for the sake of it. She's like, there'll be a stupid reason behind this. That's what's annoying. Yeah. Um, well, she goes to I the think, oven, gets his dinner and just bins it. I just think that's so hard. Like, it is. Because eventually he'll be home. Like In her mind, he'll just be a bit late. And it's like, come on, Margaret, that's a bit... But it's a spooky... <laughs> Yeah, I put a spookyish Christmas jingle play. It's very, it's it's Christmassy, but kind of nightmare before Christmassy kind of vibe. It's like that. it's very weird. It's like ah, oh, it's it's straight anyway. And then um, back to the community hall. We have a very funny visual with Victor Croker and Mr. Starkey sat in a line, aren't they, on chairs? Yeah, he never and, got to call the police after all. He was he was intercepted as he as he reached yeah. for the phone. So. And of course, he's got his machine gun. Yep. And he says, the "Time is six forty-six and thirty-nine seconds." That's right. Yeah. I actually made a note of that. That's not me. <laughs> That's no good memory there. One of the things I hate most about modern civilization is you're driving along in your car, right? Driving at the wheel of your car, and there's this van in front of you. And the back's open. And there's this guy sitting there on a pile of sacks, eating grapes and spitting the pips at your windscreen. I can't stand it when that happens. It makes my blood boil. Oh, yes, I, I know. Absolutely, yes, absolutely terrible. Terrible thing to do to anyone. Eat. He, Mr. Starkey talks of his hate of modern civilization and he gets angry at how people spit the pits out of grapes. And Oh, that was a really weird monologue, wasn't it? Really weird monologue. He wants them to agree, like, don't, don't you find it annoying? Like, he, shut, he looks in a direction. It makes my blood boil. Oil, and they're like, yes, there should be a law against it. They're just sucking up to him, aren't they? Like you would, I suppose. <laughs> this uh, maniac with a gunpoint. Uh, Victor asks, I, I actually put, this looks like a scene from Dad's Army. It's sort of like, yeah. it looks like the Dad's Army Horn and the sort of trouble they get into. And Victor, Victor asks, what exactly are we waiting for? The vials of wrath, Mr. Meldrew. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is, final... it, is, it, is he just, does he just want to take them out with him? Why, why does he, he obviously wants to do himself in, I assume. I honestly don't know what his motives are. Um, Strange. I, I don't know why he can't wait for the rapture on his own. Before before Pippa is enters, I don't think there's much else going on. Other than, it's clearly established that they're, host, they're held hostage. Yeah. This chap is on a quest to do something. I, I assume he wants to do himself in, but also take whoever's with him down with him. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what 
if there's some know. sort of a, a religious cult that says to do that if you're in whoever's company at the time we hear a break-in anyone at home pippa don't come in dad where the hell have you been what's happening get back out he's got a gun who has close the door behind you you'll sit and wait with us won't you Have you any idea what time it is? It's snowing like mad out there. They'll both freeze to death. Look at them. Time now, 6.48, precisely. People don't argue with the gentleman. He won't hurt you. I've seen him in the park feeding the squirrels. Come on, put that thing down and we can all go home. Do you want to smack around the head? Not really. Well, give it here then. And it's Pippa. I do and find that odd. Um, she, she, you didn't hear her knocking or anything. You just immediately hear some glass smashing. Yeah. <laughs> I think she did was put a brick through the window rather than check if they were actually in there. I, I know. Strange. Maybe she, we just didn't hear. Well, in in that world, you just we didn't hear it. But she tried to thought. Well, there's lights on. There's something going on here. Yeah. You know, it's my dad. It's not elderly, elderly, but he's elderly. Mm. It's not like eighty, is he? But. She's just worried yeah. about him. So she's, it's Christmas night, what at home. And yeah, they're saying she's, she's let herself into the hall. They're very much encouraging her to leave. He's got a gun. And she's got quite ballsy now, hasn't she? She's, she's quite adamant he's not going to do any harm. I've seen him feed the ducks bread at the local pond. Squirrels, I think it is. Squirrels, Squirrels. yeah. Im immediately, her calming influence probably has an effect on you, the viewer, because you think, oh, that's all right, it's a bit tense, but Pippa's standing up to him and he's looking a bit startled, but by me. Oh, she, wasn't, she wasn't aggressive, she wasn't shouting, she no. was quite meek. She, mm -hmm. she kind of reminded me of a character in Waiting for God, actually. Oh, scene. yeah. She was quite Jane-like, I thought. I didn't ever watch Waiting for God, but uh, is it Daniel Hill who stars in that? Uh, yeah, he plays Harvey Baines, yeah. And Pippa diffuses, it's diffused the word. The situation. Yeah, she disarms him, I guess, and uh, she she he hands over the machine gun to her. And, and he's I he sort of feels sorry for him in that moment because he's looking a defeated man. Well, he bursts into tears, doesn't he, and runs and and sort of he, he pops all the balloons. And I did wonder actually, I was going to say when we first see the community hall, who has balloons as Christmas decks? <laughs> I I just don't think it's a decoration you'd have personally. Even Possibly not. Hall. No, but it, it served the purpose where. He yeah. popped all the balloons, and to Victor and Croker, they, they thought it was machine gun in the moment, and they <laughs> they dive. They dive to take cover, <laughs> which was funny. But then you just see this trap break down and cry, and you think, even though you just threatened them with their life, I instantly felt sorry for him, even though he could have murdered them. I just felt sorry for the guy because it, it was really tragic. it's a mental health thing, isn't it? Really, like he's just yeah. He obviously needs help. He, 
Asgard, to say the least. And that's where the scene ends. Anything else to wrap up for that? I think if it was an action film, two versus one would be able to sort that out, I think. Yeah. But it's Victor and Croker, sort of 60-year-old men who are a little bit um, not exactly fearless. So I don't think I'd be able to confront anyone with any kind of firearm, even if there's 10 of us. I'd be like, I'm not, I'm not going near that. <laughs> um, Christmas night then, it's, I think Vic, Victor is obviously instantly forgiven, quite rightly, because they don't have it. They don't have it out. He's um, it's gone twenty past eight, so it's not oh, like yes. I saw the time. On, I thought I should be intrigued because it looks like it could be midnight, but it's not late. Late. Yeah. Um, so he he asks um, eight twenty's been and gone. I wonder what happened to the is it the the mother of harlots and abominations? Oh, I think so. Yeah. The line, yeah. 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 Um, There's a beautiful line before that where Margaret just sort of very softly asks him, would you like me to mash you up a Valium in a mince pie? Which uh, <laughs> I absolutely love. <laughs> he's, um, he's, uh, he's feeling quite sorry for the chap, isn't he? He's ref- Victor's for, um, for Starkey, that is. He's uh, reflecting. And he's also pondering about the little boy's dad dying. Well, I wonder he did get that gun. Said he got it for Christmas. <laughs> Poor sod. Christmas. Well, he had his faith. Makes you wonder what to believe in. What's out there? Who's listening? What are you waffling on about? That little boy whose father was blown up in the car crash. How do you make children like that understand? Some people pray to God, some write to Father Christmas. Suppose it comes to the same thing in the end, all the good it does. And see why people like Croker want to pack it in. It stopped snowing, aren't there? Well, they said it wouldn't come too much. Yeah, um, he says, uh, you know, the little boy's praying to Santa. Yeah. She's praying to God, you know. Yeah. It all comes to the same in the end for the good it does. Yeah. And Margaret's, of course, not listening. She's not listening, but she. It's reference the snow has stopped. Again, it seems like, why do we need to know that? But the snow stopping will be a little reveal why that's important. I, I know we said, you know, we agreed about um, not giving each other anything for Christmas. So don't start moaning, right? But happy Christmas anyway. Oh. I don't know. I mean, I was. Oh. What are you going to buy me a new watch for? Well, you can throw that other thing away and stop trying to guess the time. Well, I suppose I might as well confess. What's that? I've done the same thing. I bought myself a new watch as well. <laughs> Margaret is gone all soft and she said, I know we weren't, we weren't going to do it. Oh, we didn't mention this. I didn't mention this, did we? But not only did Victor say no Christmas tree, no Christmas presents. Oh, yes. So Margaret wasn't particularly happy about that. And she wasn't Victor, happy about Victor, that. Earlier in the, in the episode was saying, well, you don't bother about me. You don't get me anything. Yeah, that's right. And, and Margaret's she... like, well, fine, I won't. Yes. Obviously a bit rattled by that. 
Yeah, and I probably uh, already bought the watch at the point he said that. Yeah, I expect we all do. I think we all go like this year. Can we just let's just you know, let's have a budget? Yeah, and almost always we find the money and we go overboard, don't we? Yeah. Um, but she hands him a present, and it's it's a watch, isn't it? And again, the watch thing was referenced because um, I think Margaret was having a conversation with Mrs. Warboys in the previous scene where he says he. I think I was gonna. I think I might get him a watch, but he likes his current one. The the it's it's basically broken and and time. I think the, the second hand doesn't work, so he's he's yeah. he, he likes it because time doesn't pass by as quick or something. Yeah, which relates to Mister Starkey's fear, and of course it rounds up with her buying buying him a watch, and he's very taken aback, mm. and he goes off to what we think pick up a gift for her. <laughs> he shouldn't have done that and he goes to the sideboard and he she's looking all like happy he's, she's thinking oh he's got me he's returned yeah, he the says, I'm, I'm afraid I've done the same, same thing, thing. that's it. a very clever line oh god he's, yeah, just he's, to deal derail, derail the audience that's right and it's and what is it what what is it what it, what it transpires it's what there's a slight pause and then he says I bought myself a new oh, watch as well <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely hot, and, and you should see the the Margaret that just loses all the colour in her face as she just the double whammy. It, yeah, it's because not only has he not got her anything, he's already brought the present that she got for him. Yeah. I think the right thing to do. I like to think he would wear the one that she brought and return the one that you brought because that's the only right, isn't it? I hope so, but I'm I'm not sure, you know, because he kind of chastises her a little bit. He's like, yeah. well, we did we say, did, didn't we? We yeah, did say. Yeah, we did say absolutely, and um. But I think you've got to... Fix is very black and white, isn't he? So whatever yeah. they've agreed, he, he assumes that they'll follow that um, that rule. Absolutely. Um, Margaret sort of skulks off to bed at that point. Mm, that's right, yeah. Does she say nothing to stay up for now, though, is there? And she, yeah, she goes up he to bed. He says that. That's it, as, yeah. As, uh, she says, well, I'm going to go up, and then she, he, she exits. And, yeah. And he says, well, I might as well, you know, there's nothing to stay up for now. Yeah. And he turns the light off. Outside Mrs. Burridge's house on Christmas night, and the poor lad is, is so sad. Um, he sat outside in the freezing cold, obviously, it's been snowing. Mm. Um, with his little red robot toy, yeah, and he really does look like the little lad from the snowman because he is literally in the snow looking sad, yeah. And there's a taxi that turns up, and he's got a little hope on his face. And oh, this taxi could be my dad, and it's not, it's, it's just a lady being dropped off from. A night out, but then what happens? Well, we we cut back to him after he sees the lady in the taxi, and his eyes are just filled with tears, and so mm. he sort of sits down next to the gatepost, puts right. his head in his hands to cry, and then we see a a hand go to pick up the toy that he's dropped. Yeah. See, uh, like a figure, don't we? Like just uh, yeah. the feet, yeah. And he goes to pick up the toy. He looks up. Little Adam looks up and just sees his uh, what we, we can assume to he be his dad. His dad, and <laughs> so, yeah. And the mum looks through the window and she's like absolutely stunned. And they go, it's a very nice happy ending. And it's just for once, a British comedy has a, essentially a happy ending because yeah. Renwick doesn't always do that with One Foot in the Grave. It's always a, he does some sad endings and he does some sort of neutral endings, if you like. But that yeah. is like nice. Rarely are they happy. Yeah. yeah, it's a Christmas special because he's got, he's got to have a, because <laughs> the British, like, the British, they say American audiences like things to be wrapped up in a, ha in a happy ending, and the British do kind of encourage a unfortunate ending in a roundabout way. But I think, I think we can all agree, 
<laughs> when it's involved a young a young child losing their dad, you just want them to yeah. have a happy ending. It's a great, and it feels like you could end the episode there, um, but it doesn't. Nice. And we're back at the Meldries. It's summertime after Christmas. I think all the decks are down now. Not that they had a Christmas tree. Um, last of the, the garden names have been collected by, I think it's oh, from a, yes. a, from uh, a friend. Oh, yes, they're all loaded up on a truck. Uh, uh, yeah, Eileen's husband apparently said he could take them away. That's right. Quid on his truck. Yeah. We, we learned earlier. So. That's right. And, they're all um, loaded up. So it must be a Wednesday because mm-hmm. she said it would be a Wednesday. Yeah, clearly, I mean, the company would surely pick that up for free. I guess they were sick of those names being in the house for Last, I think you just pay twenty quid just get and get rid of them. Now. Yeah, absolutely. They were going to drop them back at the warehouse. And right. There's another little geeky thing that I always notice here. Actually, is when we look at the camera, sort of looking down the stairs towards the front door as the gnomes are being carried out by Victor. Yeah. And you see a a, a, a backdrop through through the look through the front door. You see a backdrop of uh, a painting of houses that are across the yeah it, it, the side of the road, and it wobbles in the in the wind. I growing <laughs> up watching these sitcoms, I, I used to, I used to, I'm talking about when I'm seven, eight, nine. I just think, how do they do that? There's an audience there, but and yeah. I just think it looks so real. I remember like, embarrassing to say now, but like in the in Nelson Mandela House of Fools and Horses, like and you can see out the window, it's just a painting or a picture of mm. other high rises and 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 the city of London. I think I just couldn't get my head around. They had it. It's clearly a studio audience. I just yeah. thought. Of course, it's a bloody photo. What am I playing at? <laughs> Eventually, got it at age eight or nine. But um, yeah, well, it does. Totally convincing as a backdrop, though, is uh, it really? It's uh, it doesn't look like a, a row of houses at the other side of the street. Oh, Dad's Ooh. army had the same thing. Dad's army, some exterior shots. Well, they clearly it's uh, filmed in a studio, but this just look. They ain't even gone to much effort to make it look like a faulty towers as well. <laughs> yeah, when you went from the reception, yeah. you sort of see it's clearly like a wall painted wall and they have to turn right because you can't go whereas yeah. the exterior shots you clearly there's no like hedges or anything it's just the steps it's straight <laughs> I, I love that sort of thing actually I, i'm yeah. fascinated i wanted I mean, to... faulty towers as well the hotel the, the, especially the first floor of the hotel where all the rooms are changes its morphology from episode to episode the yeah, rooms are in different places there's different parts yeah it's yeah. it's a continuing lack of continuation thing there isn't <laughs> it um so the names are being picked up um Mrs. Warboys, and she does this in Monday Morning Will Be Fine. She kind of narrates what's going on. Not narrates, but in Monday Morning Will Be Fine, she's in a coffee shop talking to some old biddies about Oh, yes, Margaret that's, in, that's in Dreamland. Um, it's a Dreamland, it, yeah, not Monday yeah. Morning, sorry. Uh, I'm supposed to be a host of the podcast, I know everyone's knowledge. I always make a point <laughs> that I'm not like expert, expert, I just love the show. She is, Mrs. Warboys is... is recounting this story of this young lad and the mum and how the father and she's obviously it's a it's a reason why she's telling Margaret so we the, the viewer can make sense of what's happened we've had some Christmases but this must rank as the most depressing ever yes hasn't been very lucky for you has it but then for others of course it's been a different story you heard about that woman's husband the one that works in your local video store. Mm. Oh, yes, yes, that was terrible. Compared to a tragedy like that. No, 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 since then. Oh, you haven't heard. Heard what? Well, he came back the night before last. What are you talking about? Well, apparently, when he left uh, the other week, he took an early flight out uh, to Germany or wherever, mm. 
parked at the airport, and someone stole his car. Went out joyriding in it and hit a petrol tanker and the whole lot went up. Naturally, they thought it was his body. And, of course, with the phones being down all week, he couldn't phone home or anything, so... Can you imagine? <laughs> After all that poor girl's been through, suddenly just turning up on the doorstep again like that. Yeah. So it transpires. Actually, I think you'd be able to articulate better than I. Sure. So Margaret's going on about how awful Christmas has been, and then Jean sort of reminds her about the Mrs. Burridge and her tragedies, and Margaret's like, oh, yeah, well, compared to her Christmas, ours has been a picnic, you know. Yeah. It yeah. transpires that Margaret hasn't heard that Mrs. Burridge's husband actually came home. So Jean reveals that it was, in fact, his car that was stolen. He arrived mm. at the airport early. Somebody nicked his car and went joyriding in it. Yeah. And because he was burnt to such an extent, he wasn't recognisable. They just assumed yeah. it was him. Yeah. Whereas he, he'd gone on to Munich. Yeah. With no knowledge at all as, as what had happened and no knowledge yeah. of, of what was happening yeah. you know, back home. And, of course, he didn't phone because the phones were down. Yeah, so that's right. So that's why it was important to know early yeah. in the scenes that they made the point the phones are down yet. I think that's uh, why from the writing perspective, it was necessary for her to go back to work so quickly because it could only have been for a time that was around, you know, the sort of time scale you'd have phones down. If it had been weeks and weeks this is and right, phones yeah. were down, he could have written to her. And so it's, yes. he had to, Renwick, I think, had to force her to go back to work that early just because all this had to yeah. happen over the time scale of a week and well mrs warboy says um she references it being the dad came back the night before last and we know he came back christmas night so the night before last would be the day after boxing day in in that moment the night before yeah. last would be, yeah so it feels like it's ages after like a week after christmas there's only a day and two days after again an early irrelevance there but um and then mrs warboy spots the newberry fruits Yes. Margaret yeah. rolls her eyes. I don't know where they came from. She must have brought, bought them for them and then forgotten about it. And I don't know why she's surprised that they're there. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it went over my head that bit, but I don't know. But it's... Maybe that's the gag, a subtle gag. Where did these new fruits come from? Yeah, I guess um, someone on Facebook, one in the grave, said, because people always post, why did this happen? Why did that happen? It didn't make sense. And someone said, well, in the Futility of the Fly, Series 6, where he, they receive that huge model fly. <laughs> There's no reason for it. Like, it's no. good point. The things, the things just happen. Um, <laughs> and it, you could say that's a cop-out, but life just springs up randomness sometimes. Things don't always make logical yeah. sense. And in only a story as well, when, when Victor's discussing that detective show with Mrs. Warboys mm. about these things that just randomly happen, about yeah. something that fell out of a helicopter. Yes, I think I, I do think sometimes that these must be some of the criticisms that Renwick gets from some critics, and he's having a sort of subtle dig. He does definitely have a subtle dig, doesn't he? It, yeah, he did it in the Executioner song with um, Marjorie Quayle, who was reviewing his window cleaning. Yes, that's right. And I think where with the dead cat in the freezer in series oh, one, yes, he, they got such crap for that. I think they did. I, yeah. How many dead animals we've we seen since? He put his foot in a blooming rotten hedgehog in the last, yeah, in the last yeah. episode. So I think he's tortoise alive. Yeah, sticking the middle finger up at the. It's the sort who would complain it into what was that with Terry Wogan's host? Um, points of view. Oh yeah, yeah. Those sorts of complainers, like 
come on, it's a, a prop, you know. <laughs> um, unless some of them generally thought, you know, that, I don't know if that was real, but anyway. So it's very nice. So Mrs. Warboys has really given us a nice um, summary of the background of this happy ending, which is really nice. Like, but where's Mrs. Warboys hearing this from? I guess it's just... I guess if she's a churchgoer as well. She's a gossip, isn't she? I oh, mean, we learned that in The Beast in the Cage, where she's sat in the back talking about this mm-hmm. woman that cuts herself in Sainsbury's cocoa butter every night. She's yeah. She just picks up this information from yeah, places. that's right. And they go outside to see you know, off the delivery, the, the, the delivery trap. to the couple more gnomes to come, I think, and then yeah. uh, Patrick and Pippa emerge. Yeah. And it's a bit of small talk. They're looking a little bit... Um, they, they, there's something going on there, I think. Um, there's a glint in Patrick's eye that suggests... Yes, I had a good Christmas. Happy. Yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> it does, he does play Patrick like Basil Fawlty at times. Very much so. You know, I'm his... not even sure he's acting. I mean, he's, he's, he's Angus Deaton. He just plays yeah, Angus Deaton. It's true, yeah. <laughs> he's never quite recovered, has he, Angus Deaton, since they think... So, not they think, so, uh, Oh, have I got news for you? For you? Uh, the cocaine. Episode. Yeah. When you think what some people in the showbiz have done since, that's quite vanilla. It's a bit mild, isn't it? Compared yeah. to the paedophilia thing and yeah, you know, racism and all sorts of what's going on. I just think I I, I personally haven't really enjoyed having got his view as much as when he was on it. He was dynamics. a good host, but he he obviously didn't get on with um, Ian and Paul very well. No, they, they really gave that one of those final shows. They really laid into them, didn't they? Yeah. But anyway, sorry, deviate in there. Imagine then uh, not unnatural surprise when, just as we were delicately sliding the 1924 classic from its box, the cork suddenly took it upon itself to fly unsolicited up my father-in-law's nose. <laughs> and something closely resembling carbonated cat's urine started dribbling down the sides of the bottle. Actually, what happened in fact? Still, we can't stand around here chatting all day, can we, Mr. Meldrew? You better wave goodbye to your garden gnomes. Uh, Actually, I think there's still a couple to come from upstairs before we... uh... No, 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 I was telling you. You'd better wave goodbye to your garden gnomes. Darling? how they didn't just think that they'd been ripped off by whoever they bought it from. Yeah, I mean, there's no evidence to suggest. I mean, but how easy is it to put a cork back in a wine bottle? I'm not a wine connoisseur, but I thought once a a cork came out of a wine bottle, it's pretty hard to put back in, but I don't know. I don't think you can. I'm a cheapskate. I buy screw tops anyway, so it's... uh... We we just, we like the old German tasting hock, like four quid. It's right for us, just a few (laughs) glasses. But, okay, so... Patrick, to the extremes, gets his own back, pulls out the machine gun that we see Mr. Starcast. First of all, how in the hell have the police not detained that weapon? How have they not confiscated it and put it into I mean, an evidence room? Pippa must have literally just brought it home in the car with her. That's a bit psychotic, isn't it? It like, is, isn't it? I think I'd, I, if I had a weapon like that, that I, I, I wouldn't know how to disable a machine gun. No. So the thing I do straight away is ring the police and say, come and pick it up from the village hall, please, because I don't yeah. want to be anywhere near this thing. She took it home. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> what the hell was she doing? 
He was sitting on the back seat of the car, presumably, next to Victor as he was getting his lift home. It's weird behaviour. Bear in mind that she she thought Victor was some um, murderer. murderer in, <laughs> in who that, will buy? Yeah, in who will buy? Hot kettle black. But yeah, so and it's officially great. Harsh, but Patrick proceeds to shoot half of the gnomes, which is going to he knows is going to cost him. And he leaves it that he could have done all of them, but he does. He just does. He just shoots a few rounds, doesn't he? It did surprise me. Such a square is Patrick that it did surprise me that he did that. Because mm. all you need I mean, to, yeah. All it would have taken was for you know the, somebody coming out of the door, front door in the house across the road, to just be in the way of a bullet, and he'd have this been up it. for murder. This is it. Yeah. Um, just, I mean, and not I, Patrick. I, I put, is this the start of the neighbourly war? Because before that this moment all that's really happened is a slight misunderstanding with victor insisting they politely stay the night that's all that's really happened from what we see so i think it's the start because in man in the long black coat they which i will get to review he's they're writing they're writing things on sticky notes and passively well he's writing sticky notes passively aggressively sticking them on victor's door and me saying you stop doing this stop doing that very very much a petty relationship forms from here. Turns out Great Aunt Joyce has given them some Vaseline, which I <laughs> assume is the petroleum jelly. And they, they're, because he goes back inside, he's a little embarrassed to reveal what's happened. They, Margaret said, what, what was that? He goes, oh, I think it's just... Um, the truck backfired, The truck backfired, that yeah, sincere? that's right. And we hear an almighty th- crash. I think, God, yep. what the bleeding hell is this? Uh, a tree has fallen through their porch, Back doors, is it? Or the front door? No. Through the front door, front window, yeah. As and the window's gone and there's a big hole where it used to be. And we, we it's, it's the seed has already been planted about that earlier where Margaret said, oh, the, the, the trees are wobbly across the road and it's gone through their window it, yeah. as it happens. And, Mar- and that just leaves with a perfect final line. It would be Mrs. Warboys. She had to say it. She could have kept her mouth shut, but she had to say it. Looks like you've got a tree in the house after all, then, Miss <laughs> And end episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is, yeah, marvellous. I think summary of thoughts on that is, well, first of all, IMDB give that 8.1 out of 10. Quite high is that, is that according to people voting? Yeah. Is that, is that I, think, that I think that's like a, a certain amount of people base that. Yeah. I don't know if, do IMDB have their own voting system then you can vote as a viewer? I, no I don't idea. know. I only ever used it to look people up. I've, I've mm. never used it for anything more. I'm sure it's got much more functionality than that, but I've, I've never used it. Yeah, this, I think there's an IMDB Pro where you can probably do right. more, but um, there's no Mr. Swaney. Now, I wonder, no, if, the, I wonder if the actor was character. otherwise engaged doing other things. I could look at IMDB and see what was he doing. But I don't know. He, does, he didn't really show up much in that second series, really. He, uh, he becomes a bit more prominent in series three, I think. Off the top of my head, Patrick and Pippa and, and Mr. Swaining, do they ever come face to face? Do they ever exchange dialogue? Just, I just, I don't think they ever do. They, they must do, because they both feature prominently separate. Like, if it's an episode focusing on Mr. Swaining, you don't really hear or see much of the other side of the neighbour. It's almost like. They just live either side of Victor and they don't know each other. So yeah. their stories are separate. There's no need for them to ever... I don't know, it's a funny one. I, I have a look. feeling that um, 
Pippa mentions him at some point to to Margaret. Right. Okay. But I don't think they ever have a scene together. Okay. But I might be wrong about that. Well, yeah. I mean, did this episode feel Christmassy to you? It felt as I think it's, it just summarizes Christmas for me because I'm a bit of a grump when it comes to Christmas as well. Yeah. And you know, he, he says quite early on the in the episode, all the miseries of the world seem a hundred times worse at Christmas. That's true. And yeah, just, that's a good line. Just, that he just lets it get to him. Mm. He, he struggles to enjoy Christmas in the face of everything that's horrible. I mean, that's certainly applicable now. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's kind of you know the sort of social discourse we're seeing right now in in the world. That's right. Um, and it, I usually I usually sort of summarize, summarize Victor's actions. Did it, was he right to have certain rants or take so? I think. Um, well, the answer's no with the video shot, but he certainly made up for it. Um, he was remorseful. I think so, and I think well, at the point Mrs. Burridge's husband came back, she probably forgot all about that encounter yeah. with Victor. I do wonder yeah. if he ever went back to that video shop and apologised. I'm sure he would have done. I think yeah. he's he's got a conscience, hasn't he, to say the least. He has, but he, but, just, yeah, he just doesn't know how to pick his battles. No, no, it's... Um, but yeah, I think there's not, not, not too sure what else to say about that. I mean, I... There's a good four or five Christmas specials, I think. Um, yeah, there's, there's five in total, and then there's one put in the Algarve, yeah. Which, yeah, the Algarve is sensational. Yeah. I look forward to doing that one. But, yeah, any final thoughts? No, I think we've, uh, we've covered it really well, I think. It's been yeah, you. I mean, I, I'm very grateful for you coming on, and I'd welcome you back again, definitely. Great, I'd love Thank to, you very yeah. much. Anytime. Uh, and if you'd like to, uh, like I said, at the start of the episode... Uh, take part then please contact me yeah one for the podcast at one for the pod sorry and uh, one for the podcast at gmail.com i think the listenership is increasing a little bit so i'm glad that there's more people discovering it so thanks for sticking with me and i think it will be better for the listener when you've got people like ben coming on who know what they're talking about and have got great insight into the show so thank you so thank you very much for listening and uh, the next episode will be the man in the long black coat which will start eric idol of course uh, singer songwriter theme tune. Thank you very much for listening. Take good care. Oh, I'm